This is the Otaku Nate Show episode 41, Ristorante Paradiso, Romanza alla Dolce. Cosa i fan di anime? Sono Tokunet con un altro episodio dello Tokunet Show, il podcast sull'anime dove ne parliamo di anime che vogliamo parlare. Okay, 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 that was pretty terrible. Or in English, what is up, anime fans? Otakunate here with another installment of the Otakunate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is Eric Berg. Happy to be back at the restaurante. And Sarah, the Stardust Possum. Buena Sara! Nice to meet you all. And this week, we are going to be talking about Ristorante Paradiso, based on a manga by Natsume Ono, whose work we've discussed previously 10 episodes ago, believe it or not, in Aka 13. The anime was released in 2009 by, of all studios, David Production. Very neat. And in their very first. Yeah? Was it? I didn't check. Alright, let's look this up. Yeah, this was, I believe, their first project. Oh yeah, you're right. Well, I'll be damned. Hell of a debut for what would be one of the more acclaimed studios of the modern era. It was kind of an eccentric start. The series was directed by longtime storyboarder Mitsuko Kase, who also directed select episodes of the Sunrise Mecha anime SPT Lasner and the first seven episodes of Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory. She's also responsible for directing Glass Maiden, both Saikano OAVs, and Season 2 of Tiger and Bunny. The writer for this was Shinichi Inotsume, and this guy has quite the interesting resume. His most well-known works are Yona of the Dawn and Hayate the Combat Butler, and he also wrote for things like Nyan Koi, Spy Classroom, and Gangsta. Nice! So, who wants to give out the premise of Ristorante Paradiso? So, the story kind of follows uh, our main character, Nicoletta. And she decides to take a trip to Rome and to kind of confront her mother that wound up abandoning or leaving her with her grandmother to be raised. Uh, And so, whenever she comes across to this restaurant in Rome... She uh, walks in and she notices, like, all these gentlemen in, like, their 50s wearing spectacles and acting so elegant. And it just kind of, like, follows what goes on in the restaurant. I think that's pretty much all you really need to know about Ristorante Paradiso. It's a simple setup. There's not 
you know, it's not the setup that that brings you anywhere. Well, you know what? Yeah. It works. So did either of you know about Ristorante Paradiso prior to this review? I've I oh, heard of it because I'm a big Akka fan. And I always kind of meant to get around to it, but I just never did. So, you know, one of those things where I it would have been nice to have gotten around to before, but I'm really glad this gave us an excuse to go and watch it. I haven't heard of this before. I... Uh before you recommended it and I started watching it. So it was kind of new going into this and I found it actually very relaxing and kind of an interesting show. I cannot remember where I first heard of Ristorante Paradiso other than I think I heard it mentioned on a podcast once or twice. But I do remember that it was reviewed and talked about on Anime News Network, and back when he had this column, it was reviewed on Jason Thompson's House of a Thousand Manga. Both it and its sequel, or sister manga, Gente, the people of Ristorante Paradiso. I'd always heard of Natsume Ono, but hadn't really checked out her work until the past year or so, and... She's become one of my favorite manga authors and one that I do recommend to people who enjoy reading manga. And I have a bit of a rant prepared for the primetime discussion segment. But after Akka, I was ready for anything Natsume Ono throws my way. And having finished it, I can safely say that my expectations were met for Ristorante Paradiso. I thoroughly enjoyed it from beginning to end. Yeah, I kind of felt a bit of the same where, um, like, I wasn't sure what I was getting into when I first started watching it, but just something about it just felt, like, nice and calming and just something about, like, it was just a simple, it's a simple story and it just kind of wraps up nicely. I, I think the thing that is a little interesting about it is Coming off of Akka, you kind of have to adjust your expectations because it's it's not that it's bad in any way, but it's just, it's so different in terms of, it is a true, like, slice of life, all the stakes, all the everything is very, very natural and flows, but there's not really a bigger story. And once you get immersed in that and get, immersed in this restaurant it it works really well but it is kind of interesting coming off of Akka going oh okay this is this is it and it's quite delightful but you know I just wouldn't want to walk in from from some of the other things expecting anything more than exactly what it gives you which is quite good considering that even though Akka 13 is a political drama it had this very sort of easygoing and relaxed tone, and that's kind of what I was expecting with Ristorante Paradiso, just without the whole political thriller aspect of it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of exactly what, what you end up getting. But let's begin, as we always do with the animation, and I get the sense that we're not going to have too much to say about the animation, but... We may also have a lot to say about the animation, because 
the animation for Ristorante Paradiso is as basic as you can get. There's no, like, really flashy, fancy Sakuga moments, but at the same time, it doesn't really need any of those sort of moments. Yeah, and also, um, also the backgrounds are just kind of simple. Uh, they seem more uh, watercolorish, where it's just just a simple background to tell a simple story. It's interesting because it reminds me a little bit of Gungetsuo uh, with the backgrounds and how it almost feels like almost like a watercolor texture to it, which was really cool. And they did take great advantage of. Um, Reminded me, it's going to sound really odd, but of kind of some of Bakshi's stuff where they're abstracting a little bit, but you can tell, okay, that's, you recognize streets in Rome or you recognize landmarks that may not be the biggest landmarks in Rome, right? Like, it's not like the Colosseum, but there's that church that you, you just kind of know what's in Rome. You might not know its name. Um, so that was really good. I thought it was their first time out, so I don't want to be too critical i thought there was times where some of the animation where they were trying to take the cg and bring it along with the 2d and the watercolor backgrounds i thought there was a few times where it just didn't quite click it wasn't anything enough to be distracting or anything but it, it did it did kind of once you saw it, it's like oh this was their first go at it okay that kind of makes sense because there's a few things where you could tell like, they were experimenting, and they would nail it down later, but they obviously were new to some of the techniques on this. I personally think that for the first time out, David Production did a good job. And plus, it's just kind of neat seeing, like, how they started off with this series, and then would later go on to create some of the other series, and including, like, another series that happened in Rome, or, like, in Italy with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 5. It's just kind of neat seeing how they kind of like went from point A to the finishing product um, that would become a really good series. There is a lot to like about Ristorante Paradiso, but the thing that jumped out at me from the screen was the show's overall aesthetics. The first thing I immediately love is the show's color palette. It's this very subdued, earthly color palette. The colors of the buildings for the backgrounds are rather drab, but it doesn't feel like it's dull. It's more like an artistic decision. Like what you would get when you, if you were to actually visit the city of Rome. Rustic is the word I would use to describe the overall feel of the show in terms of its backgrounds and its painting. And they do do the sort of Gonkutsuo effect where you have a static background and the characters are moving over it for effect. I do agree, and you can see some of that with like the texture and the clothing for like some of the characters, where it just reminded me of that series. When I was younger our family had a chance to go to Rome and one of the coolest things about this is how it just feels like it nails that city. The different places in in Europe we all think of as the same and they you know, it's all different, but Rome does have that earthy feel. It does have this kind of like everything's kinda of hidden away. There's there's stuff that you just kinda of run into that is off the beaten path in a way that some of the other cities don't have and it 
it was really cool because I, it's like with the backgrounds, I, I saw, I was like, oh, I remember that. And they did a really good job of making it feel like, oh, if you've been to Rome, you would, you would recognize not only the feel of the restaurant, the feel of the backgrounds, but just the overall aesthetic. I also think that Natsume Ono's rather unorthodox art style, and we also saw this in Akka 13, translates well to being animated. Because if you read her manga, Natsume Ono does not draw in your typical manga style. Her artwork is very sketchy and a little rough around the edges. Her early work in things like Not Simple, because she came from a background of doing webcomics, I describe it as amateurish by design. She gets a lot better as she goes along, but she still keeps that sort of roughness. Her illustrations are something that you would see more in, like, a magazine than you would in a comic book. Yeah, I also kind of see that with, like, uh, the art style. Part of me also just, for some reason, as... Uh, some of the some of the proportions are a bit interesting for some of the characters where you get like the lengthy or the gangly limbs where I apologize and forgive me for saying this a little bit reminds me of some of the proportions from Kokios with yeah with some of the long arms and long legs but other than that like the creator does do a good job with like uh, the different designs for the characters. It's funny you say that, because I'm just coming off of reviewing Godanner, which had the same character designer as Code Geass, Takahiro Kimura, and I specifically mentioned oh that gosh. Kimura is known for drawing his characters with rather lanky proportions. Even his men, who are a bit bulky, have those gangly arms and legs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Although, I kind of feel like, to some extent, in this one, it might have been... Ono is really good at thinking about what people look like in their environment. We saw this in Akka, for example, where it's like... I, sorry, I keep going back to that, but, like, if the food is big, the people are big. The You know, there's a very... It's well thought out. And in a place where you have to walk everywhere and where everything is exercise away to get to the line to get to the market to get to your house it kind of makes sense how it all pieces together what the character designs are and and how everybody is a little lankier they profile very well also bronx kuma and i discussed this all the way back in our die guard review but one key thing is you have to put the character models all side by side and then put them in silhouette. And when you put them in silhouette, you have to ask yourself, okay, which of these is whom? What can you derive from them just by looking at their silhouette? And this is also something that I think Ono is good at, because even when you have characters that dress similarly or all have to wear the same uniform, you get a good idea as to what they're like just by looking at their profile. And of course, we also have to mention, since this is an anime about a restaurant, we gotta talk about the food. Because, uh, do you think this is worthy of being in a clickbait picture list of food looking so much better in anime than in real life? I hate to say it, but largely no. If, if I had one critique of this, it was that the food was a little uneven. There were times where it, it did jump off the dish and it's like, okay, I need to make that. But there were a lot of times 
the one that gets to me every time, and I just can't believe that somebody didn't catch this, is in the in the OP when the chef is probably sautéing some vegetables or something, but they almost just look like shapes. They It doesn't have a whole lot of texture, and it doesn't... There's something about it that just doesn't look like food, or at least not to the standard that we're all, you know, blessed with, you know, the joke of anime food is usually looks incredible. And I thought there were times where it looked good. And as the series went on, it certainly looked better by the end when they're tasting dishes, they're nailing it pretty good. But early on, especially there are a couple where it's like, you guys want to invest a little more time in that? Um, just a thought. But having said that, the wine looked good. It looked good enough for a beer drinker like me to be drinking uh, red wine during the review. So, you know. <laughs> well, red wine is healthier for you than beer. That is true. I do have to agree about the food. I also felt a little bit the same. So, there were a few moments where some of the dishes with the CG were... It kind of threw me off just a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay, it looks interesting but it doesn't have that eye popping like oh this looks really delicious and mouthwatering like with uh, different Studio Ghibli foods or even with like a series like Toriko with some of the ingredients that are used or it's like okay um, it's like it would be kind of nice if they did a little bit more with the food but at the same time it's like it's fine doesn't have the sparkles to make it look appetizing or mouthwatering. <laughs> yeah, I think the dishes, the operative word I would use to describe them, they look flat compared to the aforementioned Toriko or Shokugeki no Soma or even the extremely similar uh, Antique Bakery. I kind of wonder if the like the food that jumps off the screen is a newer thing because I'm just thinking it's something like as unfocused on food as Spy Family, right? But... That has some really cool and and good-looking scenes of that. And so I wonder if it's almost something that has just changed in the industry where, you know, who knows? Maybe after Food Wars, everyone's like, well, we got to make the food look good. Uh, but whatever it is, it's just, it's not quite there. And I don't know if that's a commentary on the period it came out or if that's just is what it was. I think it's more it was what it was kind of deal because I've seen some spreads from the cell animated days that look extremely appetizing. And you already talked about the food in Studio Ghibli films like those are all cell animated and those look great. But it's largely thanks to the oh, talent yeah. that was working on it. The likes of Isao Takahata, Yasuo Otsuka and uh, Fumi Kondo. Sorry, Yoshifumi Kondo. I got his name wrong. Kind of wonder if, again, it's a bit of the practice thing, right? It just, you've got a new studio coming in. Who knows? They might not have had somebody who had already worked on a lot of these other things. So I don't know. It, it, it seems like it may have just been something they need a little more practice on as it did get better throughout the series. And in some of David productions, later shows like some of the food in Jojo looks pretty appetizing. Oh mm -hmm. yeah. Agreed. So I think it was just more an inexperienced thing. Even with those shortcomings, though, I do think that Ristorante Paradiso is a show that's very pleasant on the eyes. The choice of colors, the fun character designs, the rustic setting. It's just, it's a feast for the eyes, even if the food doesn't look the best. 
though it still looks kind of tasty, even if it's, uh... It'll probably empty my bank account if I ever ate at Café del Orso. The, the, the thing that really strikes me, though, is... I know I've, I've said some shortcomings, but... It's kind of like if you do have a really good dinner, or not saying it necessarily has to be expensive or nice, but, like, if you have a really good main course and all this other stuff, you're not really going to care whether, you know, the salad was perfect or it's the experience, it's the whole nine yards. And so while I may have had a few, you know, this could have been better or this could have been better, none of it is anything that detracts from the experience. So I think... We pretty much have said everything we have to say about the animation. Let's go on to the soundtrack. And, oh, the soundtrack to this is wonderful. I do it's- agree. And I also, but in terms of the soundtrack, I really did enjoy the opening to the series. I thought it was just, like, just nice and smooth. And it just kind of, like, sets up, like, it's like, okay, this is actually just going to be kind of a nice bit relaxing story. It might not seem too much on the outside, but it's just a nice little satisfying thing. It's a nice, smooth, and relaxing opening. This is music that reminds me a little bit of the soundtrack of, like, Spice and Wolf, where it's so perfectly in tune with exactly what it's supposed to do that if you heard the soundtrack in the background whilst eating in an Italian restaurant, you wouldn't bat an eye. I mean, that's how in tune and, and perfectly set up for the anime it is. It was really perfectly done. Very much inspired by Italian folk music. Lots of fiddles, lots of guitar. It was performed by a musical trio called Coco Ya. I couldn't find much information about them but what they've made is absolutely beautiful and something that i will probably be listening to while i'm editing this episode it's gonna be on while i'm cooking tonight that's for sure it's it's the perfect kind of cooking community even if you don't watch the anime go listen to the soundtrack it's it's excellent background music in the best way The one track that people will have likely heard from this album is the show's main theme, or main musical motif, Starry Night Ristorante. That's the one that plays usually at the start of every episode, or whenever Cassetta del Orso is on the spotlight. I bring it up because that track was made famous in a fan animation for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure a year or so before David Production got their adaptation off the ground. That animation is called Ristorante JoJo or something like that. It's footage from the promo video for Ristorante Paradiso reanimated to feature the cast of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind just schmoozing with each other and having dinner at what is effectively Cassetta del Orso in their universe. And this animation was made years before David Productions adapted Golden Wind. That's actually pretty cool. I'm going to have to check that out. And I can, whenever you're describing that, it's like, I can really imagine that with like all of uh, the gang, just like the Bruno squad, just sitting at the table, just relaxing, having a nice meal, and 
kind of messing with one another. And that fan animation would inspire, like, a trap or lo-fi hip-hop remix of that song that is called Goodbye Jojo Fridays. I desperately want to see this now. This is fantastic. Whoever came up with this, it deserves a medal. That's fan- just amazing. Agreed. <laughs> Moving on to voice acting, Nicoletta is voiced by Fumiko Orikasa. And hold on to your hats, folks, because this woman has been around. Some of her most well-known roles include Rukia Kikuchi in Bleach, Riza Hawkeye in Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood, Cirrus Victoria in Helsing, Shirley in Code Geass, Lote in Little Witch Academia, Lady in the Devil May Cry series, and I believe she is the current voice of Chun-Li in Street Fighter. Wow. I know this, is a, I know this is a specific thing, but all of the voice actors and actresses you're going to hear about, they all nail it. My only regret is that it wasn't dubbed in Italian, so thank you, Nate. That was a delightful way to start off the episode. But seriously, they all nail this. Well, it wasn't dubbed into English either, so uh, hey-ho. I would take an Italian dub before I take an English dub, because I really love dubs, and I kind of prefer them in the native tongue of the setting. So, like, Princess Principal, I much prefer the dub over the sub, but when things are set in Japan, I prefer the sub, and I just... It would be so cool to have this in Italian dub. I know it'll never happen, but it would be amazing. Nicoletta's mother, Olga, is voiced by Haruhi Tarada. She is Sela in the Fate series, Rin in Naruto Shippuden, Pimon in One Piece, Mai Kujaku, aka Mai Valentine, in Yu-Gi-Oh!, Ayaka in some of the later Tenchi Muyo series, and Emi Isuzu in Tenjo Tenge. A character who is known for one thing and one thing only. One very unfortunate thing if you've ever seen Tenjo Tenge. I have not. Maybe that's a good thing. You're better yeah, off I haven't not either. <laughs> kno- You're better off not knowing. Now, as for uh, our camerieri, Jin Yamanoi plays Claudio. One common pattern you'll notice for, like, half of them is that many of them are seiyuu, but, like, they're not big-name seiyuu. They've only done, like, a few notable roles, and unfortunately, Claudio is one of them. He's Benjamin Canopus in The Irregular at Magic Academy, Robson Zuccoli in Lupin the Third Part 4, uh, Starscream in Transformers Armada, Nagira in Witch Hunter Robin, and Rolento in Street Fighter Alpha. Luciano, the elder statesman of the restaurant, is played by Mitsutaka Tachikawa. Uh, he's more famous as a live-action actor than being a voice actor. His only notable anime role is being Hagoromo in Naruto Shippuden. Uh, same goes with Shigeo Kiyama as Gigi and Kazuhiko Nishimatsu as Furio. They both have some notable roles, but, like, nothing you guys would have ever heard of or at least cared about. However, the young chef Teo is voiced by Yoji Ueda, famous for being Robert E.O. Speedwagon in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, 
We've mentioned Akka a few times. He was Owl, the mustachioed man in Akka 13. Some of his more recent roles include Shinji Yoshimatsu in Licorice Recoil, Bebin in Ranking of Kings, Hanaoka in March Comes In Like a Lion, Cap in Sunny Boy, and he's Leif Erikson in Vinland Saga. Hanga danga bargain! That makes me very That's happy. actually pretty neat. Makes me very happy. A, a great uncle of mine decided to look at our genealogy, and I'm related to him. So you know, runs what? Family, I guess. What? Yeah, that's my... pretty cool, dude. Yeah. yeah, I'm related to Leif Erikson, which is why a didn't lot of you fun. tell me that in the first place? I don't know. Maybe I should just put it on my business cards and intro. But if you ever do Vinland Saga, I'm just saying I have <laughs> to be there. Well, you you probably will be. You know, uh, sidebar, I've announced hockey games where I've had to deal with some second or third generation players of former NHLers. I actually just had to announce a game where one of the players is the great-great-grandson of the inventor of the Zamboni. That is amazing. That man is That's... doing exactly what he should be doing in his life. Yeah, when he, that is... when he got sent to the penalty box, I looked over to him and I asked... Hey, uh, you related to the guy who invented the Zamboni? And he just looked at me, smiled, and said, Yeah, he's my great uncle. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I went to high school with a girl whose last name was Bradbury, and we were reading in an English class, uh, what is it, the, uh, like, Nuclear Winter on Mars or something? And I said, wouldn't it be funny if, if you were related to Ray Bradbury? And she's like, yeah, he's my grandfather. Wow. That's pretty cool. We've gotten off track. <laughs> anyway, Lorenzo, the owner of the Ristorante, is played by Kenji Nomura, famous for being Akihiro Kano in Tokyo Ghoul, Sanosuke Harada in the Peacemaker series, Takashi Ryuzoji in one of my favorite anime of 2018, Planet With, Mitsunori Kugayama in Genshikin, and he was in not one, but two Baki series. He was Yujiro Hanma in the 2001 Baki series, and now he's Atsushi Suedo in the Netflix Baki. Right on, that's pretty cool. Anybody in Planet With is, is good on my point. You can also currently hear him as Olare Andrew in Mashal and Void in Undead Unluck. And last but most certainly not least, there's Vito. And as soon as I heard Vito's voice, two words immediately popped into my head. Kiryu-chan! Yes, Vito is voiced by Takaya Kuroda, the voice of Kazuma Kiryu in the Yakuza series. Oh my gosh, nice. It's funny because as we record this, there are two new Yakuza games out right now, and Takuya Kuroda is in both of them as Kiryu. You can also hear Takuya Kuroda as Darsha in Wolf's Reign, which we reviewed a while back, Simon Brezhnev in Dorarara, Masamichi Yaga in Jujutsu Kaisen, Maruo Nakano in the Quintessential Quintuplets, Masked Takanouchi in Cromarty High School, and Razor in Hunter Hunter. And also because we're dealing with Cosmic Kiryu, I have to say this now. 
ten years in the joint made you a fucking guido. So that's it for the Seiyuu. No dub, unfortunately, which is a real shame. And fun. I find it funny that this thing never got an Italian dub, even though it's based in Italy. If it did get an English dub, I don't expect everybody to speak with your stereotypical Italian accents unless they use an actual Italian word, like the waiters of Cassetta del Orso are called cameriere, which is the Italian word for waiter. If this show did get a proper English dub, who would you want to play whom for the characters? That's a good question. I don't know who I would want for Nicoletta, but I can tell you who my pick would be for Claudio. Who's that? Dan Green. Okay, I can see that. If, yeah. If you listen to, like, his normal speaking voice, he's got the perfect voice for that kind of character. Yeah, I was actually thinking Alexis Tipton as Lota, or that, as Nicoletta, because just the character reminds me a lot of uh, Lota in some ways, and I thought she could do a, a good job on that. And yes, I know it's from another Ono series, but it just really reminded me of that. I can see Olga being voiced by Jessica Calvello or Veronica Taylor. and if, I can definitely see either of those. And if we want to go with NYAV actors, I think Wayne Grayson would make a good Teo. The problem is you gotta figure out who's Gigi, because few lines but man they hit every time <laughs> i'd probably say like someone like tom wayland or mark dryerson since i'm going with the mm -hmm. nyav post crew mm -hmm. but that's it for sound and voice acting let's get into prime time discussion and uh before we get into our feelings on this series i have a bit of a rant prepared not for the show but for clickbait anime lists. I hate clickbait anime lists as much as the next person does. It's always a bunch of basic bitch choices for any subject matter, whether it's for characters or for series, usually written by some poor intern for pennies on the dollar. In fact, I would say that some of them in this day and age could be written by AI. Who knows? But the ones that kind of grind my gears the most are the ones that spotlight great anime and manga by female creators. Because this should be a chance to show that women can tell sophisticated stories just like the men can. And in some cases, even more so. But instead, it's typically the same old battle shonen or action seinen with the token shoujo title thrown in usually something like fruits basket or yona of the dawn or Oron high school host club or the obligatory inclusion of sailor moon and to me these kinds of lists should be used to show the casual anime viewer hey these are great series made by women that serve as a nice break from your typical shonen action series that's what you should be doing with these kinds of lists but instead, nine times out of ten, it's, Hey, did you know that Fullmetal Alchemist was made by a woman? Because Fullmetal Alchemist was made by a woman! You know, if you're going to put lists together and 
if you're gonna put recommendations together, at least give me two thirds of them that I don't even know about. It's always really frustrating. It's, these obscure things, these created by a woman, these you know created by whatever, and it's okay. Yeah, well, I I already knew every single freaking one of those already. What are you bringing to the table here? I don't understand. These kinds of lists need to spotlight female creators that make truly unique or stunning works, or stuff that's narratively challenging. From the pioneers of the Showa 24 era like Keiko Takemiya, Hagio Moto, and Kyoko Mizuki, Ryoko Ikeda, who wrote The Rose of Versailles and Dear Brother, Akiko Higashimura, who did Princess Jellyfish, Ayazawa, the author of Nana and Paradise Kiss, Yoshinaga Fumi, who made the recently adapted to a Netflix series anime, Oku, uh, Yuki Kaori of Angel Sanctuary fame, Haruko Ichikawa, who did Land of the Lustrous, Yuatase, who did Fushigi Yugi, Clamp, and the list goes on and on and on. But hey, we got to attract the casual fans somehow, and so let's just include Battle Shonen, even Demon Slayer, even though we don't know whether or not the creator of Demon Slayer is a male or female. On a meta level, and it's a little bit of a tangent, but let's face it, the anime that probably all three of us have enjoyed the most in our lives are not on the top 20 most popular list. And so if you're going to give me something, give me something that will strike me as so unique and so mind-blowing that I never would have guessed, because those are the things that are going to stick with me for years and years. I mean, I've said it before, but like, a man could have written Full Metal Alchemist and you would have gotten the same result. I don't think you would get the same result if Ristorante Paradiso was written by a man. No, definitely not. And that's kind of what brought me into Ristorante Paradiso, and it's the same thing with Akka. Natsume Ono understands the most basic appeal of low-key storytelling. It's the funniest thing when you have groups that come together for you know just a random reason like hey we all work in a restaurant or hey you know we're on a debate team or whatever else and where like oh no just nails it is just building this group dynamic that feels so natural whether it was the inspectors in Aka or this restaurant where this feels like a small workplace and Everything feels fleshed out just like a small workplace would have and little dramas and little rivalries and not not anything that feels forced. It's just so naturally done. I pretty much agree with that. It just kind of feels like it's like a small restaurant that you're very familiar with that just feels at home. We all have a place that we can say is our old haunt, whether it's a local pub, a little diner. Or just, you know, someplace fancy that you go, like, once a month or something, where, you know, you get to chat with the waiters and whatnot. Cassetta del Orso, the restaurant itself, feels lived in. Like, this is an actual place that you could go to. That these people that work here are actual people that you know, and that you can relate to, in some cases. And I think one other executive choice that I appreciate about the series is that even though outside of Olga and Nicoletta, everyone who works in that restaurant are men, they're all like men in their middle ages. They aren't like teenagers in Oran High School Host Club 
or hot college guys in their 20s. These are men who are entering, I don't want to say like the twilight of their lives, but like at the halfway point of their lifespan. Men who have already been around, who have had all sorts of experiences, they all have something that they're hiding behind those spectacles. It's a really cool thing to see any media, but especially in anime, be able to hit people's experiences all the way from, you know, someone who's probably in their 70s, who's lost their significant other, and is kind of living their life um, centered around their grandkid, to, you know, someone who's young out of, or at least in kind of the college age, trying to figure out adulting and everywhere in between. And, and you've got the challenges for somebody in their 30s trying to be the next great chef, but working under a hard boss to people who, you know, thought they would be in a relationship forever, but it didn't work out. And now they're trying to figure out their life. It's a real array of experiences that's incredibly unique. It's just nice to see, like, with what you were mentioning, with the different backgrounds, and it just gives each person a little bit more character to it, and it makes each character kind of interesting, and kind of pops out a little bit here and there. It's a better way, I think, of, I mean, we only get 11 episodes with these people. It's not like it's a long, they only have so much time to flesh out these People, So it's so nice to see someone as a writer write the characters not to stereotype, but instead write them to experience. You know, these aren't people who you would be like, oh, yeah, well, it's an anime. Here's the Genki girl and here's the nerd and here's the, you know, you know the experiences because you've met somebody in your life who has been through these experiences. So they can use that shorthand, which comes across way more original than it would if it was just, well, you know, here's that stereotype, this stereotype, and you've seen it a thousand times, but here, have it again. Natsume Ono is great at making characters that aren't just anime stereotypes. These feel like these are actual people that she's met or that we've met in our lives. People that we can actually relate to, people that have traits that your average reader can identify, that they're not just there to, like, fill out a checklist of characters we need to have in this situation. I think the closest that comes to it is Nicoletta herself. Yeah, even her is, it's kind of interesting because for for those of us that remember our early 20s, it does feel very, very kind of that, you know, I'm a little lost. I'd like to figure out what the hell I'm doing. And, and it's a bit stereotypical of, hey, I was out of college. I would like to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. But on the other hand, they do it in such a good way that it doesn't come off like that. And I'd say one other thing that I really enjoy about Ristorante Paradiso is that it's an ensemble cast, but each episode or so focuses on a different member or members of the restaurant. Because the original Ristorante Paradiso was a simple one-shot that ran through several chapters of the magazine it went in. There are a few stories from its sequel series, Gente, that are strewn throughout it. The episode where we see the origins of Caseta del Orso, that's taken from Gente. 
they incorporate it really naturally. I, I wouldn't have, I would have never have known. The episodes that are plopped into the middle of the ones that are adapted from Ristorante Paradiso don't feel all that out of place. And I think it's mostly because Natsume Ono made sure that the tone between the main series and its sequel stayed consistent. And it's also largely thanks to the animated nature. You don't have to worry about the aesthetics being inconsistent. Yeah, that's true. I I haven't had a chance to read the one-shot or the sequel manga, but I kind of I'm definitely going to have to check it out after this, but um when you were mentioning that, it's like, huh, that's actually a pretty interesting fact because it all just blended together very smoothly like you couldn't even tell like hey this was actually a one shot and a lot of this other part was from like the sequel manga that's actually a pretty neat fact and props to them for like blending that in very smoothly where it doesn't feel out of place the final episode of the series is how the original one-shot, Ristorante Paradiso, ended. But unless you've read both the manga and its sequel, you wouldn't know that. Because it flows so naturally. And this is why it kind of makes sense, now that I think about it, that these were add-ons and such. But in a show that has to use flashback in order to build out the scene, it... it doesn't over rely on it it comes so naturally they do such a good job with making a story in the present relate to the story in the past to make it feel like it's not just exposition dumping on you whoever was the writer on this was really incredible at, at weaving it all together do we want to talk about the characters because each one has their moments and are memorable in their own separate ways. Of course, Nicoletta is supposed to be like, I don't want to say our audience viewpoint, but the one that our viewer is supposed to relate to, given that she's still young and she's still in her prime, and she's returned to Rome to sort of give her mother a piece of her mind. Yeah, I just want to highlight Gigi because, again, not a whole lot of writing need to be done here, but the animation, the knowing how to use him, his... Her line, one of the funniest characters you'll see, and it's all in facial expression and knowing how to do jokes that aren't like laugh out loud hilarious or something, but just how he fits in with the rest of the scene is delightful. Yeah, Gigi, he's uh, Cassetta del Orso's taciturn wino. He doesn't speak too much, and most of the time he just stands there chewing very slowly they bring all that good food i do not know how he is so thin with as much as he eats but i know we all have a friend that is like that and it is constantly eating constantly there i love the couple times where they're just like oh where did you come from uh he's just kind of a fun omnipresent like oh how do you even get here how do you bloody do that? The greatest <laughs> Italian ninja ever. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, though, an Italian ninja who's a wine steward, it makes sense. It's I had a friend who I asked why, why would Italians make such unreliable cars if they were popular in Italy? 
And as my friend pointed out, we have to remember if it breaks down, you're next to a great restaurant with a bunch of red wine. And by the time you've had your fill and sobered up, it probably works again. So, you know, it's the perfect person to be a ninja for the Italians. Can't argue with that. I do have to say with like um, some other characters, I did also enjoy Luciano. Um, He does appear uh, a bit gruff on the outside, but he does have a soft spot for his family and he still cares for his wife, even though, spoiler, she's no longer uh, with them. But you can see how still very much that he cares and he carries a lot of experience with him that he shares to the younger people there there at the restaurant and it's just i just kind of like seeing like this gruff old man that has this heart of gold to quote spongebob squarepants old people are the greatest yep there's just something so wholesome about luciano's character He's stern, but ultimately he's a loving granddad at the end of the day. Agreed. It just how he looks out for his family and just see him uh, interacting with his grandson. It's just, it's just nice and wholesome. All the characters are, are kind of like that where there's no, there's no villain. There's no bad guy. And for the most part, you know, they're all pretty nice people. You know, they may have their flaws, but they're, they're all people that you would, love to get to know and it's just quite pleasant in that way the one that we follow around the most is claudio and i think he's the first that we meet what do you guys have to say about claudio because i like him he's there basically to be nicoletta's teacher i like him uh i think there's always that thing where people become attracted to certain character types and and such and it kind of makes sense that nicoletta would be be attracted to him because he is very caring and kind you know i think he kind of disappears a little bit in the midsection of the anime but it all it all makes sense and and he's perfectly well done yeah and i also like seeing the growth that he has in the series because you see how he still has feelings for his ex-wife but you see him like eventually moving on and he grows a bit as a character which is kind of a nice little interesting take that we don't see that often in different anime series with like oh yeah there's this guy he's been divorced and it's like okay but it's nice to see him even though he's divorced like he's giving it a second chance he's kind of down on his luck but he's trying to make light of what is a rather i don't want to say dour but like unfortunate situation it was a nice touch to draw the parallel between where in his work life, he got into a rut and kind of fell into that that ditch and, and wasn't getting himself out. And then he kind of got a push out of the the ditch and saying, like, it's not that you're that this can't work for you. It just may not work for you here. And I thought that was a nice parallel to uh, his relationships. I think we have to talk about the central theme of Ristorante Paradiso, because even if it's about the lives of people who work at a restaurant and their struggles of everyday life. The one theme that we've sort of touched on is these are people who, I don't want to say are at a low point, but are dealing with struggles in their lives and them trying to figure out where they're supposed to go next. And you can also see with a lot of the characters where 
there's a little bit of a common thing with several of them where they're making amends with their past, whether if it's Nicoletta and Olga or um, Lorenzo and Gigi or even with uh, Claudio and his ex-wife. There's a nice touch to it in that it's so easy for people, regardless of what point in their life is, to, to get in the same habit. And I think Nicoletta kind of shaking the whole restaurant up a little bit, not like destroying anything, but just giving people a little bit of a shake up to, to think about things in a little bit different of a way, which works really well because you've got that inciting event to make it. So, you know, why are we watching this restaurant at this current time when it feels like there's not a lot of big stuff happening, but really there is. And it, it all comes back to her just showing up and, kind of the dominoes that fall just from a new person and a new influence in a certain situation. You bring up a good point, Eric, saying that Nicoletta, when she's there, she does shake up the restaurant, but not in sort of a, okay, we're going to do things my way sort of thing. No, it's just she's an interesting piece of equipment that's being inserted into the lineup, altering the chemistry of the staff. Because Nicoletta is somebody who's younger. She's in her prime. She's got that energy to her. Whereas these elderly men, they look at her and they're reminded of the days of their youth when they were young and foolish like her. I think there's also something to be said for the fact that, and I hadn't thought about this till just now and what you said, the, the restaurant has become something of static, right? Everyone wears the same thing. All the cameras are the same. Every it, It's built for Oga to some extent. And so it's interesting to have someone who, I'm sure at the beginning, Oga would not have preferred Nicoletta show back up. And yet that's what really makes the restaurant shine. And you know, sometimes life is like that. You just need just not anything wildly different, but just a little bit of a shakeup, a little new influence that can really make everybody turn into something just a little bit better. That's a very good point. It's funny because you would think for a show that has so little in the way of action, so little in terms of stakes, that we wouldn't have too much to say. But if you really dig into Ristorante Paradiso, there is so much to analyze. This is a very soulful, very... I don't want to say thought-provoking, but what's the word that I'm thinking of? It reminds me of just a lot of experiences where you may not have had this exact experience, right? You may not have had the exact experience of being 20-something going after uh, someone who's in probably their mid-40s or something. But you probably have had that experience of wanting to be in a relationship with someone who isn't willing to let the past go or ready to let the past go or whatever it may be. You, you've had experiences where people feel like, you know, a part of themselves isn't acceptable to their new person. And so they drop kind of their life before it's just all so relatable because even if, you know, I've never lived in Rome, I've, I've never worked in a restaurant, uh, but they're just such human experiences at their core that you can't help but relate and see a lot of your experiences in it as well. And of course, the big twist at the end, which 
you know, you kind of know what's going to happen at the very beginning of the series, but when it does happen, it's not like this big, what, sort of moment. It's a moment that sort of happens, and everybody just says, hmm, yes, that is very interesting. It's like the coup in Akka 13 when it finally happens. It's not some big holy shit sort of moment. It's merely a moment where all the characters stand around and say, okay, what's going to happen next? I think deliberate is the proper word. Although there is one thing that I'd like to ask you guys about. Do you have any thoughts about Nicoletta's relationship with Claudio? Because this is kind of an older man, younger woman relationship. And I know those may not sit well with certain people. Uh, trying to think here. Not really sure how to put it. I mean, it was a bit interesting to see that. I know you'll come across like different relationships and age gaps. But at the same time, I'm like, uh, not my cup of tea. I know some people might like older people. Uh, I don't know. I didn't necessarily have a problem with it. If I were to critique it, I thought the... I thought episode two was weird. Um, yeah. One, it feels really out of character, to be honest. I mean, I know we just knew Nicoletta, but, you know, I don't know. It The whole thing felt really weird. It's like, this is someone you've just met, and and your way of figuring out if you like them is borderline sexual assault harassment? Like... I don't know. Like that was, that was weird, and I'm glad yeah. that they dropped that because. Agreed. The whole idea, you know, look, different people are in different relationships with different age gaps, but boy, you know, having a younger woman come onto a guy who obviously isn't interested and kind of almost tries to force her way and. Thankfully, you know, they, they cut that off, but that I was worried that that was going to be a regular plot point, which would have been a problem. I don't really mind it by the end. I think it's a little weird that he's like, no, I'm not her father, but I'm not her boyfriend either. It's like, I think it would be actually uh, less weird if you just said you were her boyfriend at this point, if they're thinking you're yeah. her father. But, you know, I mean, I get what they were trying to do. I get how they were trying to piece it together. Claudio's arc is pretty good, and so I can kind of forgive stuff around the edges. But, you know, it's not one of the strongest romances. It makes sense that it's a bit of the payoff of the thing. But, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's fine for what it is. I can't get too mad about it. And I'll always say... I don't mind a relationship between older men and younger women in most anime series as long as that relationship is honest and it's sincere. And yeah, and I think they do a yeah. good job of, over the course of the anime, some of the other people going through and saying, like, Claudio, understand the power dynamics here, you moron. Um, and I liked that because there was, you know, it's like, understand how she's taking these cues like understand what you are doing and how it's coming across because if you don't you know this is someone who doesn't have 20 30 more years of experience in relationships 
it's you need to understand that and reflect that in your actions. So I thought that was really good. And much like how Nicoletta has to come to terms with her mother, Claudio also has to come to terms with, uh, I'm trying not to spoil too much, but uh, his ex, shall we say. It's nice, though, to see something where it wasn't necessarily like this was a, there's always this thing in in shows or media where people go, oh, well, we're going to write two different romance stories. The ones that end horribly are the ones that end perfectly. And it was nice to see a few, and especially with Claudio, where, you know, it wasn't like, you know, a disaster. It may not have worked out, but that's a story to be told, too, is sometimes relationships just don't work out. And it's not because it was awful. It was just it didn't work out. And that happens sometimes, too. We need more anime relationships that don't work out, but both parties are at least happy that it was a worthwhile experience. Amen. Yeah, that's true. And I do also have to touch on one thing with Olga saying how she was the worst mother. It's like, Olga, sweetheart, no. Trust me, there are worst anime mothers. I'm looking at you, Raikyu, Kiryuin. (laughs) I'm looking at you, Prospera Mercury. Oh, Lord, yeah. (laughs) It's like, it, it, trust me, there are worse. You might have done a, something just a little bit, uh, but trust me, you're not the worst of the worst. You are the worst I mother do. to her, but yeah. most other children would kill to have a mother like you, Olga. Yep. I do like how they put that in in context, though, where you know, she's saying to her friend, like, I'm the worst mom, and it's like, well, but you're not anymore. And I really liked that because it wasn't dwelling on, you know, look, I, I, I don't condone like leaving your daughter with your grandmother and kind of ignoring her for 20 years while you run off with some guy. But like there's quite a bit of growth that comes into throughout the anime where you feel like both Olga and Nicoletta are growing from a place where they were earlier which is nice to see, especially in something that's only 11 episodes long. It's like, it's nice, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's 11 episodes, sometimes you might be wanting a little bit more, but at the same time, it's just the right amount. It is a meal that is filling and will leave you satisfied. A pleasant little entree. That's the perfect way to describe it. It's kind of wrapped up in its own little ball, and... You know, sometimes we always ask for more, but like, you know, when you go to a good restaurant, I would hope you would want to go back there and not feel like you got everything out of it that you could ever have. Do we have anything else to say about Ristorante Paradiso before we wrap? I think the only thing I have to ever say, because I was watching some of this while I was sick, the ending credits with the dancing bear will really throw you for a loop if you watch this while you're not feeling too good. Oh, yeah, that, uh... Yeah. It's definitely one of <laughs> Sorry, the anime little... endings of all time. Yeah. Yeah. I... You feel like they almost wanted to do something a little more with the bear, given the fact that they foreshadow it early on, and then they kind of drop it, except for in the EDs. But still cute. Still does its little dance, but at the same time, it's like trying to watch it and trying to focus <laughs> when I'm feeling sick, and I'm like, wait, what just happened? Why is this bear moving all over the place? Oh, Lord. I saw that this was on YouTube, and I was skimming through a couple things 
to kind of review before the actual review and I had it on like two times speed and wow, the bear's really breaking down if you're at two times speed. Yeah. Break dancing bear. <laughs> I guess my summary of it is if this sounds good to you, you'll probably like it. If this sounds kind of boring, you'll probably find it kind of boring. It is really good at what it does and you won't regret it as long as you go into it with the right idea of what you're going to get out of it. And it's like a really good restaurant meal where you're going to be very happy afterward. And, you know, it's interesting. It's one of the animes that I would probably go back and watch before a lot of animes I might even like a little better. Just because it's that kind of fulfilling, cozy atmosphere that you can watch just an episode of it anywhere in the 11 run and, and kind of feel that and get that back out of it again. Kind of like a nice little restaurant menu selection. It might not appeal to some people, but at the same time, looks can be deceiving and you'll be in for a really nice story. My final thoughts mm -hmm. on Ristorante Paradiso is that it is a nice, calm, relaxing anime that serves as a fine break from all of the hot-blooded, testosterone-filled, incredibly over-sexy kind of anime that are out there today. It's a show that you don't have to worry too much about. The stakes are low, the atmosphere is laid back, and there's not too many funny gag cutaways or over-the-top overreactions. It's a simple series about a restaurant and the people that work in it. If you're a Shonen fan, you'll probably dismiss the series as boring. If you're a normal person like we are, you'll probably enjoy the series as a nice break from all the other crazy stuff that you're watching. It's a nice palate cleanser. The lemon sherbet after a rather hearty meal. And hey, I'm pretty sure this was a nice palate cleanser for you, Eric, after I made you sit through Pride of Orange. Yeah, well, Pride of Orange sat on the palate like a really poorly done poonting. So, yeah, it was nice to have a really good Italian meal from time to time. And hey, we watched this during the fall season when everything starts to cool down, the leaves start falling off the trees. Given its overall aesthetic... This makes for a great series to watch during the fall. And if you want something like it, well, we've mentioned Akka, but two series that I think pair well with Ristorante Paradiso, as far as being this relaxing series that takes place in a small, intimate restaurant or cafeteria or something like that, there's always Restaurant to Another World, and a series that we reviewed way back in the show's early days, and also came out a few years prior, Bartender. I do also Am agree about Restaurant to Another World. Um, I have a family member that loves that show, and I started watching it with them. And yeah, I, I do see like some of the similarities, and it's just a nice show. If you want to watch the series, it is available on Crunchyroll, and you can also find it for free legally on Retrocrush, as I just found out when I was typing up the show notes for this. You can also find it on DVD, although, given Sony's quest to ruin anime distribution here in the US, you better find that DVD while you can, because it's getting harder and harder to find. 
So that's going to do it for this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a like, subscribe to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, Apple and Google Podcasts, any place to get your podcasts from. You can follow me on social media at Otaku Nate Show on Twitter and Facebook. And you can also follow me on Instagram at NateTendoWe, where I am constantly posting photos of myself at sporting events. And you might see me at one soon, given that it's hockey season. Next time on the Otaku Nate Show, we've got another follow-up episode with a distinctly European taste, as we once again go on another caper with anime's greatest thief, Lupin III, for his first big theatrical outing. And no, it's not the one that everybody thinks of when they first hear the words Lupin and theatrical movie, as we are going to look at the first ever Lupin film, Lupin the Third, The Mystery of Mamo. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. This is Eric Berg. This is Sarah. And we're signing off and saying, A Kokora Pizza! Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. We're just on top of each other all night. I'm so sorry to have to edit this, Nate. No, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't mean to, like, accidentally cut it. I'm so sorry about that. No, no go don't, right ahead. don't worry. Don't worry. It, it, it makes it yeah. easier for me to edit.